Good day, everyone, and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and we're coming to you from the beautiful, but at this point in time, sweltering Niagara region of Ontario, Canada, bringing you all the hockey news from 50 years ago this week. This time around, it's July 6th to July 12th, 1970, and even though the hockey news was dwindling as we move farther into July of 1970, there are a few stories we're going to bring you this week, uh, some feel-good stuff as well for a change, and in these times in which we're living in 2020, a little bit of feel-good news is something that I think we can all use. Our podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. Newspapers.com, as we tell you every week, is the world's largest online archive of newspapers on the planet, and their support's been crucial to our research. And some good news for us, they've just re-upped their commitment for another year to help us out again. So we'll be continuing just as long as we can, and thanks to Newspapers.com, that's at least another year. Uh, We're also sponsored by the Breakwell Brewing Company, located in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwell produce outstanding craft beer, some of the best in Canada, I would venture to say. And uh, they also put out some great pub food. Their patio has just opened uh, for limited service over uh, the last week or so. And we paid a visit last week and had a great time. You're just steps from the Welland Canal and a few blocks from Lake Erie at the break wall. And when things get back to some kind of normal, I'd love to meet any of our listeners there for a burger or pizza and a beer. Last week, uh, we had a few interesting stories that we gave you. We talked about the uh, ownership kerfuffle of the Oakland Seals, which seems to have been going on since the the team was founded in 1967. Well, it seemed that that sad story had finally come to an end or had it. Charles O. Finley took control of the Seals as we reported last week. We talked about some upcoming big changes on the horizon for the American Hockey League. Uh, A little bit of speculation from Hans Tanner of the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. But time would prove that Hans was pretty well plugged in to the state of affairs in the AHL. And we talked about the small town of Perry Sound, Ontario, as they honored uh, its most famous favorite son as they... Uh, conducted Bobby Orr Day in Bobby Orr's hometown, Perry Sound, Ontario. This week, while, as we said, not terribly busy in the hockey world, it did surprise, uh, provide some interesting news that had significant effects on the hockey world over the next couple of years. And here's some of the stories we're looking at. Uh, we'll, we'll find a little bit about Gordy Howe, his thoughts on a, a new contract at age 42, and some other career stuff that... Uh, he answered questions. Uh, Charlie Finley will be in the news again as he reveals uh, plans that he has for his new Oakland Seals hockey team. A- and a little bit of trade speculation came out of that. And there's more controversy over the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association's reorganization of junior hockey in Canada. And we'll see what that's all about. Lots of other hockey news and notes as well. So we shall get to it. First up this week, uh, an update on what I consider the second greatest player of all time, and Gordy wouldn't uh, dispute that at all. 
Gordy Howe, that is. Uh, there seem to be a lot of news around the 42-year-old Red Wing star this week, and a lot of people are wondering, why all these stories right now? What's going on with Gordy? For at least the past five seasons, of course, since he's been about 37, there's been speculation Gordy was getting ready to retire from hockey, but his answers to those questions at the end of each season was always consistent. I'll leave the game when it's no longer fun to play. The answer to all the attention Gordy was being paid this week was neither anything sinister or complicated. Gordy had not suddenly decided to call it quits and word was leaking out. or He wasn't announcing some sort of health issue. It was simple as Gordy was just performing in his off-season job. In 1970, and actually for a few years before that, Gordy Howe worked for the T. Eaton Company of Toronto, and in this summer, as he had the past few, he began uh, a week-long cross-Canada tour, basically demonstrating and promoting Eaton's fine line of sporting goods. Uh, So all that meant was uh, Gordy was appearing in major centers that had Eaton stores across Canada, and of course, wherever Gordy goes, there's a crowd of kids and writers that are not far behind. Pretty well every stop he made, uh, unimaginative sports writers who hadn't done their homework were asking him the same question, which, of course, you and I can easily imagine what that would be. And we can also imagine the answers because Gordy, if nothing else, was incredibly consistent both on the ice and in the manner in which he dealt with the press. Gordy did inform everyone this week that his present contract had expired at the end of this past season and he was looking for, at age 42, a two-year contract from the Red Wings. Probably his last, but he wouldn't confirm to that. But he did say he'd like a nice little raise. There were lots of questions about the surgery uh, that Gordy had performed on his left wrist in May, right after the season had ended. And the reports from Gordy are all positive on that front. Uh, His greatest concern was not how the surgery was going to affect his play. In fact, he said it ought to improve his shooting over what he had last year. Goalies beware. Gordy was worried that it's caused him to miss five golf tournaments so far this summer. But he's already getting set to play in this week 50 years ago when he was slated to visit the city of Winnipeg. In fact, Gordy said that the doctor who performed the surgery and uh, was his regular doctor anyway for issues uh, surrounding the bones and joints, the doctor had given him a rehabilitation program built around his golfing. Gordy, as most people knew at this time, was one of the NHL's better duffers. As for his contract, Gordy said in Toronto on Monday of this week that his present two-year deal was, as we mentioned, expiring, and his plan was to ask for a similar pack this time around with maybe a little raise, maybe a big raise. Guy scored over 30 goals at age 42. Gordy, Gordy wouldn't commit to it being his final contract, and he added after this one expired, he was going to take it a year at a time be 44 at that time. He added that he doesn't know how many more NHL seasons he can play beyond the 24 years he's already completed. Now stop and think about that. The guy has played 24 seasons in the National Hockey League and is still one of the top players in the game. 
Of course, this talk about how long Gordy's going to play raises a question that has come up in the last few years that a lot of people were wondering at the time. And that was, would Gordy stick around long enough to play with any of his three hockey-playing sons, Mark, Marty, and Murray? Right now, Marty Howe is the oldest at age 16, but Gordy cautioned against such speculation. Gordy's quote uh, to the Toronto paper was, he's got a long way to go. And I've got too far to go. Howe was also asked by uh, several uh, in several centers about the new Detroit coach, Ned Harkness, fresh out of college coaching ranks in the United States. Gordy said he had met with Harkness only once since uh, his appointment, and that meeting went very well. But again, Gordy added a caveat. Harkness will have adjustments to make, transitioning from the college ranks to the pros, but he thinks Ned is prepared, and the meetings that uh, Harkness had with veteran players like Alex Delvecchio, Carl Brewer, Bobby Bond, and Gary Bergman should help him make the switch to the big leagues. During his appearance in Montreal, Gordy did give a hint at what he plans after he finally does hang up his gear. And, and it might have been a little surprising to those who haven't followed closely over the past few years. He told Jer- Gary McCarthy of the Montreal Gazette that his plan after he plays was to establish himself in the insurance business. Now, Gordy also in the off seasons works for one of the insurance companies owned by Red Wings owner Bruce Norris. And he says that when he retires, he won't have far to go because he'll just maintain an office in one of the uh, group of offices Norris has at the Detroit Olympia. That's Gordy Howe preparing for another season on the road with Eaton's. This week, 50 years ago, saw the new owner of the Oakland Seals, Charles O. Finley, settling into his new role with that National Hockey League team. Charlie was given an interview to anyone who'd listen, anyone who had a pen, uh, and he expressed optimism that he would be able to turn around hockey's sorriest franchise. Well, that would remain to be seen, I guess. Finley started off the week by telling United Press International that he knows absolutely nothing about hockey, and as time would go on, people would uh, find just what he was talking about. Nonetheless, Charlie O. uh, said he had grand plans for marketing the Seals and hockey in the Bay Area. Some of the promotions he's considering includes having live Seals in glass aquariums performing balancing acts between periods of hockey games. And he's also wanting to do a bunch of uh, special promotional nights similar to those he holds with his Oakland Athletics baseball team. He predicted that within three years, there will be long lineups of fans at the Oakland Seals box office clamoring for tickets to their games. Some of the special attractions that uh, Charlie's planning on holding will be a puck night, where pucks are given away, a stick night, a ladies night, and sweethearts night. Those are all the types of promotions that uh, the athletics put on during the baseball season. Uh, Charlie was asked uh, about uh, the subject of white skates for the team. Of course, the Oakland Athletics wear white baseball shoes. And as soon as Charlie got the team, the speculation began that the team would look like, as some people quoted, a bunch of figure skaters wearing white skates. Well, male figure skaters don't wear white skates. Uh, That is mainly uh, 
the female skaters to do that. Everyone knows that. But people still made the speculation. Charlie said that he hadn't yet decided if those white skates would be appropriate for hockey. But if he determined that it would be fine for a hockey team to wear white skates, he wouldn't uh, make it mandatory. Instead, he would consult with all of his players before making that order, if it were to be the case at all. He said that the players would determine whether or not they were going to wear white skates. Finley also cho- uh, told United Press International, uh, my interest in buying the Seals is that I see the Bayer area as a fast-growing sports center. Uh, Charlie said he firmly believes that the Seals are here to stay and that they can become championship contenders. Now, Finley had started the week by confirming that Bill Torrey would remain in his job as the executive vice president of the SEALs, while President William Creasy would step down. Creasy announced he was leaving the SEALs at the very same moment that Finley was having his first press conference. It was Bill Torrey who confirmed that general manager Frank Selke Jr. and coach Freddie Glover would be retained in their current jobs. In that first press conference as owner of the Seals, Charlie said that he had been trying to acquire a superstar caliber player for the team, but as of yet, he hadn't been successful. Obviously, there was no news of it, but he wasn't giving up on this player. Spence Conley, the very fine hockey writer of the Oakland Tribune, said that insiders had told him that Finley was trying to get Chicago Blackhawks superstar Bobby Hull moved to the Oakland Seals. It's obvious the Seals don't have the player assets to acquire a, a star of, of Hull's stature, so it's speculated that any deal for Bobby Hull from the Blackhawks to the Oakland Seals would probably be a strictly cash offering. Of course, uh, all the writers at this press conference were all over that statement by Charlie, and they pressed him for the identity of this superstar player that he's apparently after. And he wouldn't divulge the information at all. He wouldn't give any clue who it was, although it's pretty obvious it had to be Hull. Uh, Hull said to want out of Chicago. The Hawks have said they're willing to trade him. I can't see the Hawks letting Bobby Hull go, though, without some kind of hockey players coming in return. Finley did say that the owner of the team for whom the star player now works assured him that the Seals have first right of refusal should said player become available. Charlie also expressed a strong desire to build a better farm system for the Seals, and that is good solid sports ownership, as anyone knows. Uh, Charlie says he wants to establish a wholly owned Seals farm team in, of all places, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, In Birmingham, the reason Charlie wants to go there is they're building a brand new 12,000 seat arena, and he thinks he could get a pretty good deal from the folks in Birmingham to put a hockey team in that city. Well, then on Wednesday, all this hoopla that uh, Finley was trying to create around the team, amid all this, comes word from Transnational Communication. You remember them. They were the people who bought uh, the seals from Barry Van Gerbig and then didn't make all the payments and basically really mucked up the operation. 
Well, the peep, they're the people from whom Finlay is buying the club. They released a press statement that said Finlay had failed to meet the $4.5 million sale price for the team by the prescribed deadline of Wednesday. That's right. Charlie didn't pay for the team he's supposed to be buying. Well, this news, of course, sent fans and writers into yet another tizzy over what the heck was going on with this hockey team uh, as new doubts arose over the ownership. The deadline for the purchase of the team was to be July 8th, at which time the money was to be transferred to TNC. And here's the press release that was sent out by that company. The release said Charles O. Finley today failed to meet the terms and conditions established by the National Hockey League for purchasing the Oakland Seals from Transnational Communications. The press release went on to say that, that uh, Finley was uh, meeting today's deadline, said he was short on cash and couldn't purchase the club for the $4.5 million sale price. Now, Transnational said it now wants to reestablish their agreement with Jerry Seltzer, who, as you remember, was the other bidder for the team who wanted to purchase the Seals for $4.5 million as well. Uh, something going on there because Finley seemed quite shocked by all this. Charlie said that uh, he couldn't believe that uh, Transnational Communications would even issue such a statement. All the money required was in a Wells Fargo bank and was set to be transferred after a Thursday morning meeting. Despite Finley's protestations, there was immediate conjecture that this would be yet another in a long line of missteps in what has been a fiasco of an NHL franchise in Oakland. Now, of course, right away, folks made calls to NHL President Clarence Campbell whose initial response to questions was, I don't know what they're talking about at all. You can bet old Clarence wasn't long on getting a long-distance call to the West Coast to find out, though, exactly what the hell was going on with Charlie Finley. Now, here we are 50 years later, and we really don't know exactly what took place during this particular incident and if the deal was ever in jeopardy at all. But on Friday of that week, Charlie Finley confirmed that all of the $4.5 million required had been sent by wire transfer and the deal was officially closed and thus hopefully would end a sad chapter in the ownership of the Seals. But everyone had to wonder, would the next chapter be any better? Only time would tell. Not too much has been heard from Boston Bruins defenseman Teddy Green since his brief appearance at the celebration following the Bruins' Stanley Cup victory last May. Uh, this week, Ted Green resurfaced and informed all who would listen that he's training very hard in anticipation of returning to the Boston lineup this fall. It was learned that Ted had purchased a new home in Linfield, Massachusetts near Boston and he had begun daily workouts at the Colonial Country Club very nearby his home under the supervision of trainer Gene Berde who had supervised the conditioning of Boston Red Sox baseball star Carl Yastrzemski and many other professional and amateur athletes. Green, who's also been golfing regularly, told the Associated Press he feels super. 
There had been lots of speculation whether Ted would even be able to consider a comeback with the Bruins after suffering that fractured skull in that exhibition game last September against the St. Louis Blues in Ottawa. Uh, even Stan Fischler had uh, put his name out there speculating about Green, and his opinion was Green would show up to training camp and then disappear into the night, unable to compete at an NHL level. Very respected sports writer Will McDonough of the Boston Globe caught up with Ted at the end of this week and found that he had just undergone eight straight days of, of basic, as McDonough put it, torturing himself at the hands of Birdie. At this point, Ted said he felt very strong, that he had gotten back all of his strength, all of his reflexes, his coordination, and his timing, and now all he had to really work on was a stamina. Birdie told McDonough that Green was different from other athletes with whom he's worked. Uh, he said that Ted was more motivated than most that he trains and that he had great determination and uh, ambition to return to the hockey wars this fall. Now, Green was proud to point out that he had lost all the weight he gained while he was inactive and then some. Ted says that he now weighs about 193 and a half pounds, about 193 and a half. He's keeping close eye on that. That, my friends, is down from Ted's normal playing weight of 205. And Ted says he feels much, much better. Green also said he anticipates no issues wearing a helmet for the first time in his career when he returns to NHL games. He's also unconcerned with players taking runs at him to test him. He's confident he can take on all comers and necessary. And as Ted says, I did it to them. They'll be doing it to me and I'll be ready. Another nice story involving one of the Boston Bruins comes to us up actually happening this week in Kingston, Ontario, and it involves Bruins forward Wayne Cashman and a seven-year-old young man by the name of Mickey Robbins. Now, Kingston, Ontario is where the Kingston Summer Hockey School is held each year, and Cashman, who is a Kingston native, is one of the instructors at this school, and Robbins was a visitor to the camp this week. But there's much more, much more to this story. In May of 1969, Mickey Robbins was playing in his Cape Cod, Massachusetts backyard with his brother and he fell and suffered a badly, badly broken left leg. The boy was placed incredibly in a body cast for three months and after the cast was finally removed, it was necessary for Mickey to learn to walk all over again. Quite an undertaking for a seven-year-old. Unfortunately, after progressing well into October of 1969, Mickey slipped on some spilled beverage and he broke the leg again, but this time in a different spot than the original break. Once again, uh, the boy was devastated, of course, and he seemed unable to recover at all from the injury. Uh, physically, the bones mended, according to the doctors, but he wasn't walking. The family took him to various specialists, physiotherapists, even psychiatrists, and nothing seemed to work. Mickey's father said that uh, the boy just seemed to have lost the will to walk, and he was unable to put any weight on the leg or even take steps at all. Now, this is where... Uh, 
Wayne Cashman comes into the picture. During his months in that first body cast, Mickey developed a strong attachment to the Bruins, and his favorite player was Wayne Cashman. By chance, Mickey's mom was in a Boston hospital for surgery at the same time Wayne was there to have uh, surgery on an injured uh, shoulder. Mickey's dad, while during a visit, got to meet Cashman, and he told him about Mickey's problems regaining the ability to walk after the second leg break. Mickey's dad asked Wayne if he could write a small note of encouragement to Mickey since he was the boy's favorite player. Wayne not only wrote a small note, but actually penned a very lengthy letter and the boy's attitude experienced a complete turnaround right then and there. Wayne made a few periodic visits to the boy at home and the family became regular attendees at Boston home games, missing only two for the rest of that season. Well, that led time up after the season to the Kingston trip this week. And here's what happened there. Uh, Mickey, after the season, not watching the Bruins, not uh, being able to really talk to his idol, Cashman, and just not uh, having a very good attitude, fell into a depression and refused, again refused, steadfastly refused to walk. The family hoped that a visit to Kingston to uh, maybe have a few words with Wayne might help snap Mickey out of it, but it was just as a last resort. Nothing was working with the boy. When the family arrived, Cashman arranged for Kingston native, a teacher named Carl Rines, to work with Mickey. Rines handles the physical education classes at the hockey school, and he was going to provide Mickey with some special exercises designed to help the leg muscles of a seven-year-old develop from an injury that he had suffered. It was Rines and Cashman who finally prompted Mickey to take his first steps since October of 1969 in what his mom described as miraculous fashion. Mrs. Robbins admitted that she never thought she would ever see the boy walk normally again, but it was Cashman's encouragement that brought Mickey around. Now, Mickey himself was a little shy to tell his story to to, uh, newspaper reporters, but when he was questioned, he insisted that he eventually would have walked normally again, but he wanted to wait to show Wayne personally that he could do it, and he did. Oh, we have some news from the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association and the Junior Hockey Front this week. The CAHA had agreed with the Ontario Hockey Association and the Quebec Junior Hockey Association over their complaints of the preferential treatment given to the Western Canada Hockey League. That's the junior counterpart to the Eastern Leagues. Uh, They said the complaints are justified. A CAHA president, Earl Dawson, said that he was going to convene a meeting uh, for all the parties involved to air their grievances in an effort to find a solution to the problem. The Canadian Amateur Hockey Association is now planning two championship tournaments for uh, Junior A hockey next year and also two championships in the spring for both Tier 1 and Tier 2 junior hockey. However, if this dispute is not settled... It's entirely possible that the best teams might not play for any of these championships. Those teams being, of course, out of Ontario and Quebec. Those provinces have said they will not play against the Western Canada teams who retrieve more money from the NHL and also have a 
advantages in the number of overage junior players they can use when the Eastern teams aren't allowed to use any when they're playing against the West. The Canadian Amateur Hockey Association isn't uh, taking credit for these problems or taking the blame. They're blaming everything on the, the payments the National Hockey League, as we mentioned, is making the junior hockey and the extra payments that they decided to give the Western Canada League. The NHL explains that these payments are due to previous agreements made with the Western Canada League while it was uh, existing, operating outside of the governance of the CAHA and that they are bound by these agreements to continue these payments. It was not explained why the Western League was given more advantages, more leeway with the overage players and no solution to that problem has been suggested. The meetings are going to have to be held. It's going to be a farce if the Memorial Cup is held in the spring next year and not all of the best junior hockey teams in Canada are competing for it. I really hope this gets sorted out. And now we get to the news and notes from around the hockey world this week. There was a little bit of news going on. First of all, the uh, first member of the Los Angeles Kings to sign his 1970-71 contract is left winger Ross Lonsberry. A general manager of the Kings, Larry Regan, said that the young left winger, who was the Kings' most valuable player as a rookie last year, was given a substantial raise in his one-year pact. Ross had a good rookie year, scoring 20 goals, 22 assists for 42 points on a Kings team that's probably the worst that they ever had in their history. I think we mentioned last week that the city of Houston would be celebrating the return of professional hockey to that city this season. Well, that's going to be in the Southern Division of the Eastern Hockey League. And it's now been announced that they've signed on as a second farm team for the National Hockey League's St. Louis Blues. Most of the Blues will be going to their Central League uh, number one farm team. But the Blues have promised to send any uh, surplus players to the Houston franchise in the Eastern League. Meanwhile, the Philadelphia Flyers are looking for a new farm team in the Western Hockey League. Last year, they were hooked up with the Seattle Totems, one of the more legendary Western League teams. But they now have dropped the Flyers uh, when they worked out an agreement to be a top farm team of the New York Rangers. Flyers general manager Keith Allen said that all of San Diego, Denver, and Salt Lake City are clamoring to hook up with the Flyers to become the farm team, but only one of them, of course, will be chosen. And right now, uh, no one is sure exactly who the Flyers will pick, but I know who the Flyers uh, would like. San Diego is lovely in the winter. Former Boston Bruin player Johnny Pearson will uh, be signing on as a color man for 51 Bruins games on TV station Channel 38 in Boston next season. Johnny's been doing a few broadcasts over the past few seasons, but he was reluctant to engage in all the travel involved in an NHL schedule that now features coast-to-coast trips. Well, the Bruins are trying to accommodate Johnny as best he can, but he will make some road trips with the team, not all of them, and he'll be available to give his expert commentary for 51 Boston Bruins NHL games this season. Minnesota North Stars had some TV news as well. They said 
that they're going to air at least 30 games on local station WTCN-TV next season. The first game will be the club's opening night contest against the Flyers in Philadelphia in the Spectrum. The North Stars said they're really doing well on the season ticket front as well. It looked like they're going to have at least 9,000 season tickets already sold for the 1970-71 season. More TV news of a sort, I guess. The Vancouver Canucks, the new team in Vancouver this season, joining with the Buffalo Sabres to give the NHL 14 teams. They have scheduled six Saturday games for 5 o'clock starting times this season. Now, this weird 5 o'clock starting time, who starts an NHL game at 5 o'clock? Well, the Vancouver Canucks doing it's just a sign of the time. Uh, the, the five o'clock starting time is apparently to accommodate TV broadcasts for visiting Eastern Division teams. That'll be eight o'clock back east. It can't be for Vancouver TV because as of right now, this new franchise has yet to negotiate a television contract with any local outlet and they'd better get on that. Can you imagine an NHL team in 1970 with no games being trans, uh, televised in the local market? It'll happen. Here's an interesting little stat that we came across last week. Four of the 1970 NHL coaches in the league for the 70-71 season were teammates with the Cleveland Barons under the ownership of the late, the very great Jim Hendy. They are Toronto's Johnny McClellan, Emil Francis of the New York Rangers, Freddie Glover of the Oakland Seals, and the new coach of the Minnesota North Stars, Jackie Gordon. Not a lot of news being made by the Montreal Canadiens this week. Jean Beliveau did uh, make an appearance for his new business that he has going, a promotional company, and he confirmed that he is indeed playing next season, but that wasn't the news that people were talking about. The Canadiens, uh, Sam Pollock, did say that now that the Canadian national team has officially folded, they're planning on giving that big tall goalie Kenny Dryden a good look at training camp with an eye towards turning him professional this season. Now, not many uh, college goalies have made the jump to professional hockey and been very successful let alone making the jump all the way to the NHL. But few college goalies have been as dominant as Dryden was for Cornell University, and there are insiders in the Montreal organization who say that Dryden has the stuff to make it big in the NHL if he just doesn't let his obvious uh, superior intelligence get in the way. Uh, this unnamed source was saying that hockey players shouldn't be as bright as Dryden are. It gets in the way of playing the game or, or, or something like that. Ken Dryden's a smart guy. He'll know what to do, and I'm sure he'll do it well, make the NHL or not. Former Boston Bruins legend Eddie Shore, often regarded as one of the best defensemen in National Hockey League history, and an honored member of the Hall of Fame has never been a particularly class act as far as I was concerned. Ask any of the players who played for him at the uh, American Hockey League Springfield team that he owned for years. Well, Eddie was enraged when he learned that new Boston Bruins coach Tom Johnson had been elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. In fact, Shore's reaction 
when he heard the news was apparently to ask, how much does it cost to get out? I'll pay to get out of there. I won't be a member of any organization that would have Tom Johnson as an honored member. Always keep it classy, Eddie. And as been the usual case over the last uh, few weeks, we do have a bit of an update on the condition of young Pittsburgh uh, Penguin Center, Michelle Briere, who, of course, as you remember, was injured in that terrible car, car accident in Quebec near Malartic back in May. Uh, the statement from Notre Dame Hospital in Montreal this week was that the player is showing slight and steady improvement in his condition. Uh, the spokesperson said that Michelle is absorbing certain foods orally. It's mostly baby food from what we understand and is reacting to external uh, motions such as squeezing of the hands by those who talk to him. Some say he's recognizing different people who come into his room, but that's unconfirmed. The hospital did say that Michelle remains in a coma and for his all intents and purposes still unconscious. Not the best news we wanted to hear about Michelle Briere. So that, folks, is the show that we have this week. A little bit shorter than normal as the hockey news dwindles down. What did we learn from this uh, episode this time around? Well, we learned that Charlie Finley has plans for his new hockey team, the Oakland Seals, including uh, some goofy uh, promotions in between periods and some goofy trade rumors. Is he really going to get Bobby Hull? Got to look look at this, see just how he could possibly pull that off. I don't think he could. The bad news with Charlie is that... Uh, there was talk that the sale of the club may have hit another snag, but they worked that out before the end of the week. The Seals are now fully owned by Charlie Finley. We learned that Gordie Howe, at the ripe old age of 42, isn't yet ready to hang up his skates. And we learned about the progress Ted Green is making as he prepares to return to the NHL after missing the entire 1969-70 season with a fractured skull. Next week, uh, as hockey news continues to dwindle in the month of July 1970, we will have a bit for you to talk about. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks will name their first captain, and we'll tell you about who this guy is. And we'll also learn a little bit about the marketing that the Canucks are doing to sell season tickets in the Vancouver area, although they still didn't have a uh, TV contract yet. There might be a bit more Charlie Finley talk and we're working on a couple of special features as well that we hope we're finally going to be ready to bring to you. There'll be lots going on next week. Our 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole and we can't thank him enough for all his, his hard work and his efforts to put this out every week. The uh, Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. If you ever get a chance to see them live when they get back to putting on live shows, grab the opportunity. It's a great experience. Other sound effects and musical pieces in the podcast are by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, and of course the many publications found at newspapers.com who are happy to announce will be sponsoring us again for another year. We must be doing something right, I guess. 
Don't forget to give a listen to the Council of Council of Dads podcast hosted by Andy Cole and Cole Osborne. Each week they take a hilarious and uh, sometimes serious look at the television show Council of Dads. It's really quite entertaining, very witty, something you should give a listen to. I think you'll enjoy it. You can find us on Twitter at, at Hockey50Years. We put out reports every day during the hockey season and a couple of times a week in the summer. We're on Facebook under 50 Years Ago on Hockey, and we have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Of course, you can get this podcast through your favorite uh, podcast app and now even on YouTube. Thanks again to everyone who tunes in the show every week. We're having a great time bringing this to you, and we have some exciting additions in the work. On that note, we will see you next time. When the ice